0: Hi, and welcome to the Edinburgh Space Data Capital podcast. I'm Kim McAllister.
1: And I'm Murray Collins, Chancellor's Fellow for Space and Satellite Analysis in the School of Geosciences.
0: And what are you working on at the moment?
1: Currently working on the development of our sector plan, which is how we're going to engage Uh, all the resources we have within the university to create the space data capital of Europe. Um, I'd say the university. This crucially also involves Heriot-Watt University and the network of SMEs, so those small medium-sized companies which are found around Edinburgh um, and also users within government. So coming together to turn this into something which is really unique.
0: And do you think Edinburgh's got a chance? I think from what I can see as a a slight outsider, I am not a scientist, I don't work in space, I'm just fascinated from a journalism point of view, that Edinburgh has a good chance of being space data the capital of Europe, what do you reckon?
1: Absolutely, I, I wouldn't be doing this, honestly, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do it on a personal level if I didn't think it was a realistic proposition. And the reasons for that are as follows. We've got, uh, I'd say, an unassailable position in terms of our academic expertise. So we have an extraordinary range in academia, uh, people working on astronomy, so looking out into space, and then people working on more, I call it Earth observation technologies. So uh, in particular in the geosciences, using satellite data to observe ecosystem processes, uh, look at marine systems, look at forests, the way forests are changing. So we have this broad range of expertise academically, but that's going to now leverage this huge new infrastructure investment. So uh, it's previously called the world-class data infrastructure. I think it's now now been renamed to the Edinburgh International Data Facility. But the way to think about that is a huge new data processing capability, data storage capability uh, being built outside of central Edinburgh and east the bush. And we're going to use that infrastructure Uh, Well, well, academics are going to be using that infrastructure to develop and uh, scale up academic work to go out and really make an impact in the world. So were it not for the intersection of those those different things, I'd say, "Hmm, could it just be a high-level aspiration, but seeing as we have the infrastructure, we have the academic expertise and we have the network of companies in Edinburgh. I think that uh, it's very much a realistic proposition.
0: It's a very cool place, Edinburgh at the moment, and I would say that um, I live here, I'm not from here, I'm from Glasgow, so the Glaswegians will probably get upset about me enjoying Edinburgh quite as much as I do, but there is a very strange sort of mixing pot of everything that you need in Edinburgh at the moment. There's the entrepreneurial side of things, there's the technological side of things, there's the academic side of things, and it's all happening in this city. It's kind of funny, isn't it?
1: It's fantastic. There's a confluence of the key components, I think, that we need to create the space ecosystem. So we have people focusing more on the hardware up at the the Astronomy Technology Centre, companies uh, being incubated at the Higgs Centre. Then we have this Huge capability in the Bay Centre, so bringing together world experts in artificial intelligence at the same time as. Uh, and you, you mentioned Glasgow actually, and I think whilst we do have the aspiration of becoming the space data capital in Edinburgh. We shouldn't create fiefdoms. This is really, uh, we should be looking Scotland-wide and actually UK-wide and say to the world that this is this is our offering. So uh, colleagues in Glasgow are doing fantastic work upstream and downstream as well. And so uh, we really uh, are aspiring to work across Scotland to go out to the world and create an impact via the space sector.
0: And that's what we're going to try and do with this podcast is kind of demystify what's going on explain a bit more about what space and satellite data really is and what the opportunities are because you can get quite carried away with the science of it particularly when you're out in deep space but it's the real world applications which I think are most exciting.
1: I think you're exactly right you say space and satellites and it immediately sounds like what people think rocket science (laughs) Uh, and it's it's quite hard to get a get a hold on what's going on. So what I'd really love to do in this podcast series is talk about some of the specifics, some of the great work which has been done across the university uh, and in partnership with local companies on things, for instance, like uh, forest monitoring. So deforestation is one of the world's preeminent global uh, environmental issues. And so there's a f- superb work going on uh, in companies and across the university on how you monitor forests. Uh, monitor deforestation, carbon stocks and so on. I'd love to explore that.
0: And to talk about how people can get involved because I think with the climate emergency it's very easy to feel helpless and hopefully people will get a bit of inspiration from this podcast.
1: Yeah, I know there are multiple ways you can you can get involved and hopefully that through this podcast we can provide a window into some of the exciting science and the activities which are going on in the city and across Scotland more generally. Um, yeah, in terms of inspirational work, as, as you mentioned earlier, uh, we've we've got people involved in uh, missions to you know send send out probes into into deep space. We've got people who are sort of space ecosystem engineers, people writing literature about space. There's so much going on, so I'm really looking forward to it.
0: One of the cool things I've spotted, and I've been covering space and satellite in Edinburgh and across Scotland for about two years now in the media, there is a very cool team of people involved in this. How do you find working with your colleagues?
1: Absolutely fantastic. I think that is the main reason that I'm here, actually. Great to talk about data infrastructure and computing hardware and so on, but... <laughs> if you're into that kind of stuff. If, if you're into that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah, but that, that only goes so far. But there's the team of people that surrounds that infrastructure, and they have a, a, a vision about how we should use this to, to go out into the world. And the PhD students that you meet, the postdocs that you meet, people have come from often from around the world to come to study here with immense amount of expertise, a lot of talent, but crucially ambition and vision. Uh, And that's reflected in the university leadership as well. There's a big push now to go out in the world and do something about, for instance, the climate crisis. So uh, how do we use the technologies we're developing in the university to help people decide where to spend our limited development budgets, for instance. And I think that's exactly what we should be doing as a university, like taking up that sort of civic responsibility. And so, yeah, it's a, it's a fantastic place to work um, in the immediate space team, which we're, we're building absolutely superb uh, colleagues.
0: And one of the stars of that team is definitely Christina Tamina.
1: Christina Tamler is indeed (laughs) the superstar, yes. How
0: do we describe Christina? She's a force of nature, isn't she?
1: I would say a a force of nature, um, an absolute uh, powerhouse of of energy, uh, a lot of in-depth knowledge about the space ecosystem, the the players within them and how they should come together to really create an impact. And, And she's absolutely fantastic to work with. Um, I don't think we've yet finished a year of working together, but she's made an extraordinary impact so far. She's
0: so organised.
1: She is incredibly organised. She has organised me. Thank God. (laughs) Thank God. Um, We've just come uh, from a cross-party group on science and technology at Holyrood earlier this week, which again, she organised, presented and brought, (laughs) brought, brought me in to say a few words. She's, she's just continuing to drive this sector forward and she's doing that for Edinburgh University. So it's an utter credit to university in the Sprint programme. Uh, but I believe she's now doing it for the Scottish space sector and the UK space sector at large. So I would say watch that's that's one to watch.
0: Definitely, and she's a great girl. So we had to get her onto the first podcast. Christina is the Business Development Executive here at the School of Geosciences. Let's bring Christina in.
2: My name is Christina Tamane, and I'm a Space Business Development Executive at the University of Edinburgh. So uh, my job is to create collaborative opportunities between the university and industry to work on exciting projects all around space. Industry is um, very knowledgeable and they are very practical and there's also things that people are doing that are very exciting. But I think there is a lack of an understanding of what the universities can bring and how much expertise and knowledge is in universities and how to work together. So a lot of the conversations I have with industry is around kind of, well, what, how do I work with the university and why would I bother? And it's kind of explaining that there is expertise in universities that just doesn't happen anywhere else. It's the fact that the university has been around for 500 years and there's just these just, there's things that, that um, universities can offer, especially small medium enterprises that they just cannot get anywhere else. And it's on their doorstep and there's incentive to work together.
0: And are they quite excited about the opportunities?
2: Yes, I think once you explain what the opportunities are, yes, I think a lot of the time uh, businesses think that they want to do something with the university, they don't know what or how. Um, and uh, but once we have a conversation, um, especially with a couple of key colleagues like Murray Collins, they get really excited about it, and then and then makes my life so much easier as a result.
0: Excellent, yeah. There's a really cool team at the university. There definitely. Is. There is. So can you give me some examples of projects that you've helped along?
2: One example comes to mind is working with the European Space Agency and a couple of local small medium enterprises to develop a um, Earth observation map if you like of forests and forest degradation and how do we can contract that for the good of the planet and that is currently in the system and hopefully we'll get some kind of an outcome soon on that Um, and there's a number of projects that we are working on at the moment involving local small medium enterprises and that's the value that happens in scotland because actually there's a lot of amazing, innovative companies that want to work and have great ideas and might not have a route to market. And the university can help in that sense.
0: Cool. So you're working with local businesses, which is obviously important for Edinburgh University. Are you working more widely as well?
2: Indeed. Different partnerships or different conversations happening with countries across the world, actually. A recent uh, company visit from uh, Spain who want to maybe um, develop a base in Edinburgh uh, for data processing and analysis, which is really exciting. We have worked with companies in the US a lot, which is great. We have had a number of delegations from Japan, which is brilliant. Uh, We're working with companies in Norway and Finland as well. Just today, I am helping organize a a delegation of Canadian visitors. Um, And that is just kind of things that have come to us because we have managed to raise such a great profile for the university and Scotland, more generally.
0: And you were late last night as well. Tell me about what happened last night at the Parliament. Um,
2: So we uh, were were invited to speak at the Science and Technology cross-party group meeting. And it was just to speak about the opportunities and what's happening in space activities in the University of Edinburgh and speak specifically about Sprint. So it's a partnership between Southampton, Leicester, Surrey, Open University and Edinburgh. And the idea of the partnership is to get small-medium enterprises to work with those universities to do some collaborative R&D to hopefully help uh, smaller companies to get into the space sector if not they're ready and if they are to excel in the space sector and get the um, expertise from the kind of seen space leading universities which Edinburgh is one of which is fantastic for us and it links us into the Capabilities across the UK, which is brilliant, because we want to make sure it's a
0: kind of a collaborative approach. Yeah, and what was the reaction from the people who were listening to what you were saying?
2: Very excited, Uh, and I think uh, we were following. So the uh, our colleagues in Scarborough were speaking first, and they were giving a very technical and detailed presentation, and then myself and my colleague Murray were speaking about kind of a more general picture of what's going on. And there seemed to be a lot of of excitement in the room i, I felt because i was looking kind of at the presentations and people were much more kind of alert and listening i had lots of follow-up questions which was fantastic and the thought that the way that we presented and what we were talking about was very digestible and easy to understand and buy into and they could see they could see the potential there, which is brilliant, which is exactly what we're trying to achieve.
0: Well, that's what we're trying to do with this podcast is demystify it, because a lot of people think space, they think landing on the moon. Yep. A lot of people think space and space technology and think you need to be a rocket scientist. Yep. So we're trying to show that that's not necessarily the case. Definitely not. And also that you don't need to just work for NASA, that there's loads (laughs) going on in the UK and in Scotland and in Edinburgh. Yes. So if people are listening and thinking, I want to get into this, what would your advice be?
2: very good question um so um i actually don't come from a space background myself so uh, my my degree is in psychology and philosophy and i worked as a training and development consultant and an improvement consultant for a long time and i'm working in space and hopefully adding value to working in space and i have a number of different colleagues who are contributing who are not necessarily rocket scientists or geoscientists because there's lots of different opportunities to engage and I think space is slowly becoming known as kind of a route to different markets, which is fantastic. So um, you can contribute to it as a humanitarian. So if you are working as a psychologist, for example, you can uh, talk about what it's going to be like hypothetical to live in space, for example, on Mars or the moon. If you are a person who comes from a business background, it's looking about the opportunities of what Earth observation data can bring to the investment community, for example. Or if you come from a, a more scientific background, there's lots of op- obvious opportunities like the developing sensors to go on satellites or cool funky lasers to observe things you've never Everyone loves a laser, right? Everyone loves a laser. Or a mirror. Mirrors, lasers and antennas is the things that I just (laughs) hear about. Lots of them in space. (laughs) Lots of those in space. So like if you're doing science based stuff that's great. But there's also opportunities uh, and actually this came up at the meeting yesterday For people who are working, for example, in chemistry, because there is clean burn fuels that are needed or different kinds of propellants and things that will have a chemical aspect to that work. If you're a mathematician, there is algorithms that need to be perfected. And, And that's one of the things that's really great about the work that we're doing is because we are massively inclusive and we're open to people saying, actually, I think this is a thing. So it just means that... That doesn't matter what background you come from. It doesn't matter if you're actually uh, a PhD candidate or if you're just someone in the community who has a huge interest in it. It is welcoming. It is accepting, and there is opportunities for you to fit in with your perspective, which I think is what adds value. Because again, as a non-spacey person, if you like, mm-hmm. I don't look at it the same way as my colleagues would because I just. I think about it as a as a kind as improvement consultant or yeah. as a project manager, not yeah. as a scientist trying to achieve this goal. Yeah, and that is that is kind of the the added values that everyone's coming together from those different backgrounds and perspectives and and making it all happen. It's an amazing ecosystem to be a part of, and Scotland represents
0: that more widely as well. So it's 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 awesome. So it's a huge area for growth. Massive. Loads yes. of opportunity to meet people, make money, change the world, and hopefully combat climate change.
2: Oh yes, huge, huge focus for us is, is all about climate change and saving the planet so we can carry on doing this good work. Yeah. Excellent. Christina, thank you so much.
0: Thank you, Kim. Christina's definitely the entry point for anyone wanting to get involved with the space sector, would you say?
1: That's right, yes, at at the university. So if you're a a company uh, looking to uh, engage with us in the School of Geosciences, but actually broadly across the university, Christina has really become the the major focal point.
0: And I have to talk about the Bayes Centre at this point in time, because it's gonna keep coming up throughout this podcast. It's Bayes, B-A-Y-E-S. It's the innovation hub for the university, and you're based there for some of your work. What's going on at Bayes?
1: Bayes is a very, very interesting place. So historically, I think it's true to say that the universe is operated in silos. So you'd have mathematics as distinct from engineering, as distinct from geosciences. So you have your different disciplines, and they're operating distinctly from different sectors, so academia operating distinctly from from business. and I think the ethos of the Bay Centre was that everybody would come together in one building and you would have an environment whereby people from government, people from startup businesses and more mature businesses would mingle alongside people from the Edinburgh Centre for Parallel Computing from the Department of Mathematics, and then you would come together to create innovative processes, innovative technologies, and harness the infrastructure which we have at the University of Edinburgh to scale up analyses and so on. So you mentioned yeah, the idea of an innovation hub, there's various words you can use to describe that. But I think we're living that ethos now on any given day. We've had people from international companies, so people setting up space satellite companies in the US who are being drawn to Edinburgh principally because of our talent, so the, the kind of students we're minting from PhD, masters and undergraduate programs. and um, The, the Bay Centre convenes all of that expertise. Um, we have, uh, the, the principal officer from the U.S. consulate came to visit us. Uh, wow. Did recently. you get the red
0: carpet out that day?
1: Yeah, with the, with the, uh, red carpet, Ellen Wong. She's absolutely lovely and she, she understands what we're trying to do and of, of course sees the, the big picture of the growth of an industry. We have a very large number of U.S. students coming to the University of Edinburgh as well. And so we're making these big international connections and we seek to strengthen those. Mm. And so as a consequence, it's a fantastic place to work. It's where our Space and Satellites Innovation Programme is based. Uh, we have students coming to us from undergraduate programs looking to develop their own projects in yeah, Space and Yeah, they're sending satellites.
0: up a weather balloon, aren't they? Or what's that project?
1: They are indeed. We have a group of students looking to send up a weather balloon um, we have other students developing uh, rocket programs. <laughs> so, wow. And so they're, they're appearing from the woodwork, actually. And so yeah, that, they're that, all converging
0: be... in the Bayes Centre. And also, we have to mention Valkyrie.
1: Valkyrie is very, very cool. So that's within the National Robotarium, which is hosted between uh, Bayes Centre and Heriot-Watt University. Um, which is also our partner within the uh, the City Deals Data-Driven Innovation Program. But they're fantastic. A, a sort of topping class, um, b- bipedal robot uh, built bipedal. for us.
0: Speak normal English, buddy.
1: Sorry. A, a humanoid, what can I say? That humanoid robot, I it stands so. on, it looks, it has the same body form as you and I.
3: Yeah. But it looks, uh, weighs it looks like 100,
1: 130 kilos. <laughs> and um, yeah, he's, he's on display in a national robotarium. Uh, at the, it's ground the first floor thing of you see Center. when so you walk first
0: into thing the centre, it sets the tone
1: i feel it shall. sets the tone and i think it's that that idea of uh, interdisciplinary t- interdisciplinary working between uh, data scientists but also the people making i think the the means of production of that data so uh, the, the platforms which have the sensors, which gather data, which data scientists analyze. But having a, a, a space-oriented robot standing there in the, uh, in the, on the ground floor of the base Center. a statement is of intent. A, it's a statement of intent as well. Yes. It's
0: a very cool building as well. It's brand new, it's all glass and chrome. It's and
1: all glass, all chrome, so very shiny. Looks looks like it's fit for purpose. It
0: looks like you should be doing space stuff in there. I think.
1: And the coffee's <laughs> not bad
0: either. But and there's a great
1: cafe, yeah. There's
0: really good events going on in Bay which is why I wanted to mention it on the podcast, so people need to keep an eye on what's going on there if they're wanting to get involved. Exactly.
1: So we hosted an event on the UN Sustainable Development Goals in the Bay Centre recently. We we brought together people from industry, so the small, medium-sized companies in the Edinburgh ecosystem. But we also had, crucially, people from Skyrora, the launch company, uh, rocket launch company, I should say. Yeah, Edinburgh has say, a rocket attending. company. I, Edinburgh, I feel like
0: we need to shout about this a bit more. I know,
1: well, Edinburgh not only has a rocket company, but they have an office on Princes Street. So you can walk along Princes Street, buy boxer shorts, and then walk into <laughs> Sky um, and get yourself a space launch mission. So,
0: <laughs> all in like
1: four metres. <laughs> all in all in a few metres. So Edinburgh is strange in that it's pretty small, and yet it's clustered together somehow these key components of, the, of an end-to-end. Space economy, yeah, and that's that's a fantastic opportunity.
0: Yeah, so in and around bees, there are certainly some characters. One of my favourites is Callum Norrie. How long have you known Callum?
1: I've known Callum for a few years now, actually. He, he's yeah.
0: a space superstar, isn't he?
1: He is. I, I met him when he was the space network integrator in Scotland, but he yeah really strikes you as somebody who's got an extraordinary depth of knowledge about the safe, space sector generally also space technology. He has a PhD in laser physics. Uh, so really he, he knows space technology, but then he's also got an MBA from Edinburgh University. So he has that broader perspective about how companies operate, uh, business development, and how all of these bits and pieces come together to create a space ecosystem. And so he was the ideal person to have as a consultant on the Space and Satellites Innovation Programme. So Callum is our senior consultant.
0: Yeah, he's a great character and I caught up with him earlier.
3: My name is Callum Norrie. I'm a senior consultant working for Edinburgh University. And I'm also the integrator for Network Scotland, Space Network Scotland.
0: I want to start by asking you first of all about your LiDAR satellite, because this is very exciting. Can you tell us the sort of brief story of how this came into being?
3: The brief story was that approximately 25 years ago, I was a young engineer working for the European Space Agency in in the Netherlands, and I was tasked with a a number of LiDAR projects, with LiDAR being light radar, from space. And it's a particularly challenging activity because the atmosphere doesn't send back much signal to the, the satellite. So you need to have large lasers and and, uh, and large mirrors. The particular application that the world was keen on back then and is still keen on now, is measuring the wind because there are vast swathes of the ocean that don't have any wind measurements at all. And they, they did a study to see uh, what effect that we would have of, of the wind measurements and decided it, w- it was worth going ahead. And so the, the uh, European Space Agency had Uh, a relatively small amount of money to devote to a project and I was tasked with specifying the project, specifying a rough image of the the instrument and so I was uh, given the funding to go around in various parts of the world to to learn about what was best and also get the opportunity to work with the the best European scientists in in this area. Uh, On the back of that a, a contract was placed and the first Research activity was undertaken in what is now the Aeolus satellite, which was launched last year. Uh, the organisation which worked out the what the potential benefit was is was the European Centre for Medium Range Weather Forecasting, a top-ranked meteorological organisation, which is based in the UK. And uh, they have recently, after doing the trials on the data, determined that the Quality of the data and the impact of the data is such that the it can now be used and now is used as operational data to increase the weather horizon from by approximately four hours for the for weather forecasts.
1: Wow. So it's a
3: bit, of a bit of a dream come true to actually have operational data from the satellite.
0: Absolutely. And am I right in thinking that the only LiDAR satellite in the hands of anyone other than NASA is this one?
3: That's correct, yes.
0: So you have helped to bring into being the only non-NASA LiDAR satellite? Yes. How does that feel?
3: Um, I, I, I'm very happy for, for everybody involved because there was a lot of hard work undertaken. Uh, by the, the engineers at Airbus and, uh, and other companies, uh, and also the sticking power of ESA. When uh, during the technology development, it didn't all go swimmingly. There were difficult times, and they, they kept they kept the uh, they kept uh, focus. the focus. They kept the faith.
0: And that's 25 years to get usable data. Is that a sort of standard time frame for something like that?
3: No, that is longer than longer than normal, but. When you're building a completely new class of satellite, the development process is significant. So it, it would normally be closer to 15 years, but this, one, this was particularly difficult.
0: And so now you're in Edinburgh having travelled the world and worked in various places, what do you think makes Edinburgh stand out in the space ecosystem?
3: The expertise in informatics relation, relating to the environment, uh, and which is the most important space satellite technology around today. The issues related to climate and sustainability are the big questions and the University of Edinburgh is uniquely placed within the UK, perhaps within Europe, in providing an important part of the innovation puzzle that that needs to be worked on in order to have the systems that are necessary to to make the, the planet a more sustainable place.
0: Is that because of the context they can offer to the data? or is it how they translate the data?
3: It's a combination of both. The the, uh, breadth of the expertise in the university in the the areas such as uh, forestry, uh, agriculture, and marine, and land uh, coverage, uh, and there's a a whole variety of professors with very active and well-recognized research groups in in the geosciences department in particular, but but not only, that um, are uh, an amazing cohort which when pulled together um, are, are capable of, of tremendous things
0: and do you think the world is aware of Edinburgh's unique placement in this area
3: I think there are s- some insiders have a, have a good feeling for it and that's why you know they, they've continued to go on and and, and, and uh, be able to get the funding to do good pieces of work
0: do you think there's excitement in the generation that's coming through that's doing their studies just now do you think they understand that studying here and working here can lead to so many big things
3: i think there's a, a lot of interest by, of, from people in informatics in being involved in projects that are not just about the bottom line oh the bottom line is always important but of, of actually doing something of, of, of good for the planet. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is the, the prime area for, for, for working in that domain.
0: And Edinburgh has this ambition to be the space data capital of Europe. First of all, do you think that is possible?
3: Certainly, yes. In, in terms of developing the innovative solutions of having the, the bright people coming together and working on, on new solutions, certainly, I think that's more than feasible.
0: What is Edinburgh up against? Where are the other centres of excellence?
3: There are no particular centres that uh, I think can compete on having the the combination of informatics uh, and and environmental sciences.
0: Callum Norrie and his LiDAR satellite. Not many people can say they've designed the satellite that's orbiting above us, can they?
1: no (laughs) is the simple answer to that so what an incredible asset he is to the university fantastic to have him working with us at the moment
0: yeah he's great well next week we're going to move on to forest mapping which is murray's specialist subject seeing as you are the original tree hugger
1: (laughs) yes indeed well that's actually true so I've, i've literally hugged thousands of trees and uh, that was in- Just in, for fun or? It wasn't for fun. I, I was working for the uh, Department for Climate Change in Gabon. So I had a uh, seven-month contract working out in a reserve called La Lupe in the center of Gabon and I was measuring forest plots. So literally walking out into the jungle with a tape measure, a ladder, a tin of paint, a bag of nails and tree tags. And I measured over, I think it's four and a half thousand trees. So you were doing the grunt work and Ed Mitchard was using all your data and that's how you met. <laughs> that is how we met. Yes, <laughs> so I, I was doing that as a job after my master's degree and Ed was uh, the fast rising star in Edinburgh doing his PhD at that point. And so all the data that I was collecting, Ed then turned into a, a research paper. And yeah, so it's been a a collaboration uh, following that. I mean, I originally came to Edinburgh to work on a project with Ed and then did various other things. And yeah, we're now, Celebrating our 10-year anniversary.
0: Well, I'd love to speak to Ed for the next podcast, but we will leave it for today with the promise of lots of information on Edinburgh University's website and the Bayes Centre's website. And you can follow Murray and I on Twitter and hit us with any questions that you might have. He is at Murray B. Collins and I am at Kim McAllister.
1: Thanks for listening.